All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Wally and Mathot Show, powered by Barhaven Ford. Now here are your hosts, Brent Wallace and Mark Mathot. Welcome to the Wally Mathot Show and our own very live version of the Labor Day Classic, powered by Barhaven Ford. I'm Brent Wallace. He's Mark Mathot. And coming up a bit later in the show, our super duper guest of the day, Dave Poulin, who not only does a lot of work for TSN, of course, you know, but now writing as a freelance columnist for the Toronto Stars. Always, we're monitoring the chat. And answering some of your questions later in the show. Less than three weeks to go before training camp. In fact, I think it's just over two weeks now. Uh, Meth, can you feel the excitement in the air? I know for you at this time of the year, you didn't always seem excited about training camp starting. No, I, I'm never a huge fan of camp. I think the game's changed now where players are showing up in much better shape. Certainly that was the case when I was playing as well, where you're ready to go. But I think fitness testing, no matter, and, and I'm sure Pooley can touch on this when we bring him in in a little bit. There's always going to be anxiety. You can be in the best shape of your life, but knowing that you have to do some of those tests with other elite athletes and you don't want to be at the bottom, uh, there's always some nerves there. So th- those are little challenges that you go through as an athlete, certainly in hockey, when you're playing. And once that gets behind you and you start playing exhibition games, I feel like the coaching staff just throws those papers aside and, and focus on the games. And I think that's what the players are going to be looking forward towards. Did you do that like beep test? Is that the worst thing? Uh, well, it's like a shuttle skate, like the, what we would do, where you're kind of going down and back and you're being timed on your recovery. And they even check your blood afterwards, I believe. I think they, they go and prick you really quickly as well. So it gets pretty, uh, it got pretty complex 
as the years went on where they've got these new techniques now that, that they use to measure your cardiovascular ability and your strength and and shuttle runs off the ice everything's timed so and there's injuries injuries happen too and that's all part of pager. the uh, training camp experience i think pager like blew out his knee or his ankle yeah it was pretty it was, bad right? that was the shuttle yeah. run the back and forth side to side shuttle run yeah it's a nightmare yeah. yeah all right um Quickly, before we bring in Dave Poulin, uh, last week, Matt, I got to go over to Barhaven Ford. And as you know, they've got that Bronco sitting there. And so, uh, but they don't just have a regular Bronco sitting there. They have got the all new BFC lineup of Roush inspired custom vehicles, along with the Rangers, the F-150s and the Mustang. So I took out the newest teammate, the Bronco, and this thing is sweet. So I took it. So they let stand. you drive one? They actually yeah. let Brett Wallace get in a yeah. vehicle? Okay. Well, I, I, well, you'd have to sanitize that sucker down afterwards. <laughs> I don't really know how many people knew I took it. So anyway, okay, um, this thing is sweet. Even I even had a player reach out uh, and DM me and ask if I could help him get one and hook him up with one. I said, <laughs> I get in line because there's not a lot and everybody wants one. Anyway, right on. uh, as a customer, you don't have to wait in line. Head on over to Barhaven Ford. Uh, go check out the newest lineup of uh, Broncos. Also, their used vehicles. They have a sale coming up 16th to the 18th of September. And of course, you can visit them on barhavenford.com now. It is our pleasure to welcome perhaps one of the finest human beings on the face of the earth, terrific hockey player turned coach. He was a manager, uh, excellent broadcaster, and of course, as I mentioned earlier, now a writer uh, with the Toronto Star, Dave Poulin, uh, Philadelphia Flyer star captain, along with the Capitals and the Bruins. Welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, my pleasure, guys. Let me get a plug in for your sponsor right away, because <laughs> I was down at a Flyers fantasy camp last week. And none other than Billy Barber wheeled up in a brand new Ford Bronco. And he was so proud of it. And it was, I mean, it was the early hit. You, you know, you wheel into the parking lot and something new like that. And you know this, Mark, you know, it, a lot of eyes are attracted. So the oh, fantasy yeah. campers were very impressed with Bill Barber's ride. So let's there get that go. in there for the sponsor right away. That's so good. I got a short story about Bill Barber is... Uh, my father-in-law owned a cottage in North Bay and Bill Barber's brother used to live down the road. Anyway, Barber would re uh, rent our cottage for a month every summer and stay in it. So one time I've got all this signed old flyer stuff at home. Uh, it includes, I think Dave, I got a card of yours or something. Anyway, uh, Bill Barber, one of the big family friends at our house. So that's my Bill Barber. Well, anyway. that, that was, I, we're going to go all over the place here with this. I can tell, but that was my <laughs> first pro left winger in the NHL and exhibition season was Bill Barber and Ricky McLeish on the right. Like talk about stepping in the league. Right. And the first game was in Montreal. And I told this story last week and Billy pulled me aside beforehand. And he said, a kid, kid, you're a, you're a really great skater. Like you're a really, really good skater. So in the defensive zone, you get the puck, you skated out of the defensive zone. Bill, Ricky and I don't want it in the defensive zone. Now, when we get to the neutral zone, gee, you're a good skater. Just fly through that neutral zone with the puck. Because Ricky and I don't really want it in the neutral zone either. You know, I mean, yeah, you can give it to us, but we're going to give it right back. Now, when that great skating gets you to the offensive zone, that's where Ricky and I want the puck. So just, and all I could think was, Man, Billy Barber thinks I'm a great skater. <laughs> <laughs> that's oh, that's so good. Awesome. Uh, okay, we're going to get to all these flyer stories later because I've got a ton of questions for you just from your career. But first, as always, I want to get to the headlines and want you to help us get through what's now starting to be a little bit more newsworthy as we get closer to training camp. So here we go. Here are our headlines for today, Pooley. Uh, Bobby Big Wheel, that is Drake Batherson, signs a new six year deal worth almost $30 million for the Ottawa Senators. Brady's bunch of cash. 
How much is Brady Kachuk actually going to get if he does sign this RFA deal very soon? The $6 million man. Oh, this is the bone of contention, right? The yes, Barry Cock and the Emmy saga. Uh, it's over for now. Uh, prep school. And this is a big one for Pooley, who was a coach at Notre Dame. And that is, is the NCAA the way to go or is it the CHL? What's better for getting guys to the NHL? And then, of course, uh, the Broad Street Bullies versus the Danbury Trashers. Who'd be better? Now, I'm Pooley. I'm hoping that you've actually seen this Netflix documentary so we can talk about it. Um, I, I have up, a good idea. Okay, good. Uh, Bobby Bigwheel, and that is Drake Batherson, nicknamed Bobby, signs a six-year deal, uh, average $4.975 million. There's no signing bonus as usual with the Ottawa Senators. It's back-end loaded. Uh, it seems to be a great – I haven't seen anybody really complain about this deal. Uh, Pooley, what's your thoughts on this deal? Sometimes a deal works for both the player and, and the team, and that sounds unusual, but I think it was going to be, you know, the last 18 months have, have been so strange for everyone. And as it's grown, it, it's going to be, okay, short-term, long-term. Do I bet on myself? Do I try and get through this? And the way the players have done it is just as you talked, whereas it used to be we have to front-end load it and get our big signing bonuses up early. Now you're pushing that money back because the first couple of years of this deal are going to be heavily escrowed. And so mm -hmm. that's what you, you know, the escrow percentage is higher. And so yeah. why are you going to take less? So you're going to take as, as least money as you can in these first couple of years because they're going to be heavily affected with the holdings. And so I like the deal. Um, pretty small body of work, but that is by the organization's choice and the player's you know, the players work in Belleville and guys all hit on this a number of times in this. I think development is every bit as significant as drafting right now. I really do because I'm watching players drafted high in the draft that aren't developed. And I'm watching players come from lower down that are seemingly through the development model, i.e. Tampa Bay. And you're watching this happen. And maybe, maybe the importance of the American league coach has increased even more than it ever has in the National Hockey League. So I like what they've done with, with Batherson in terms of his development. I watched him. I did his first game, so saw his first goal. And, you know, and I get a nice feel for it when I'm down between the benches there. And I didn't think I'd like between the benches, by the way. I thought, <laughs> I'm not going to be able to see very well. <laughs> and I was, I was likening it to coaching. When you're behind the bench – everyone's standing up all the time and, and you're worried about who's up next and you're looking at the players and you're worried about managing the game. When you're broadcasting in Ottawa, you're right there and you can move right up and there's no glass in front of you. And I really, really enjoyed it. So I saw, you know, firsthand at that level, um, Batherson step into the league and he showed just great signs. And then to their credit and to the player's acceptance, he knew, or he maybe didn't know because nobody at that age thinks they know that they're not ready for the NHL, but, but he understood that they wanted him to develop to a different level. And you don't, you don't just want to play in the NHL. You want to contribute in the NHL. And, you know, guys will say, oh, I can play there. I know I can play there. I'm better than him. Or I'm better than him. Yeah, a lot of guys can play there for eight games, 10 games, 20 games, maybe half a yep. year. But you wanted Drake Batherson to be a contributor, to be a significant top six player. And I think through the growth and development there and the building of the support group around him, and it almost looked like for a little while there, it became pretty cool to play in Belleville with those group of guys yeah. they had. They were, they were all pushing for the top in the league and scoring. And they were, you know, they were really, and they were doing it together. And, you know, and you can just see the strength of that group together. And I think Batson's a big part of it. So bottom line is I like the deal. 
Um, I like the term and, and where it pushes him to. He's a little bit older now. And so overall, I'm in favor of the deal, both from the player's standpoint. And, you know, say what you want about, oh, did I leave a little money on the table? Could I have signed a short bridge? That's a lot of jeans and sneakers, guys. And, and once you have one pair of jeans on and you have a really nice pair of sneakers, you know, you don't need a lot else in life. And that's a lot of jeans and sneakers Agreed. for Drake Patterson. I agree. And, oh, and, sure. and to, to your point there, Pooley, and I wanted to know your two cents on this. And again, I'm not trying to put you on the spot because I know you're covering so many friggin' teams. Uh, Dorian was quoted as saying that he can kind of see him potentially reaching that 35 to 40 goal mark at some point. Do you see that in his shot? I know he's, I know it's fairly elite, but I don't have that same sense when I'm watching these forwards like you do. So I'd love to hear what you think about that. Uh, I do think he can score that much and as much because of what he has, I think, learned to do away from the puck. And when you're away from the puck and you can release the puck like that and you can put yourself in a position to release the puck, yeah. that's really encouraging. And he's playing with some good players. Yes. And, and, and that's a big thing. You know, he comes in the league. Can he score 30 or 35? You're like, yeah, you know, I don't know. And then you see how much attention, if he if this configuration stays Kachuk Norris and, and Batherson, mm. how much attention Brady Kachuk draws. So yeah. first of all, if you're a D partner, Mark, you're, you're, you know when he's on the ice and, and you're looking to help your D partner out with Kachuk because you know what a load he is in front of the net. 100%. So what does that do for the right shot on that line? Yeah, it opens If you're the left right D and you're going over to help out a little bit with the yeah. bulk of Kachuk. And, and Norris is a nifty player, guys. He's He's... Yeah. You know, he's a really nifty player and he's kind of a combo platter and that he's willing to shoot the puck. And he's got a real nice little, um, like a wrist roll when he's on the half boards. Yeah. And so you can see Batherson getting that center slot, Kachuk down low and, and that center slot and them using Batherson either wide on that power play if you want to open up the middle for Shabbat or right in the center slot for that little feed, yeah. either down low to Kachuk or straight in from Norris. So complimenting the players around him, I think he is capable of scoring to that level. Well, that'll make sense fans happy. Glad to hear it. Uh, <laughs> That's all we're here to do, isn't it? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. By the way, uh, Batherson, 23 years old, 99 career games, 23 goals, 53 points. Of course, this particular topic brought to you by, as I forgot earlier, so I apologize, Whitewater Brewery. Uh, check them out, shop whitewater.ca. Use the Wally Mathot coupon code, 15% off. Uh, quickly to point out, um, Batherson will make two and a half million dollars this year. You talk about the escrow thing. That's a pretty low number compared to his last two years of his deal. He'll make six and a half million dollars. So you can well, see the other thing is, Wally, is that yep. then becomes a jumping off point for the QO on the next deal, right? So mm. correct. So that's, that's you know, that's I, yeah. ideally that's in the player's favor. Now, you know, there's been other teams that have written $15 million signing bonus checks on July 1st and, and, if I'm a player and they're doing that, it's pretty hard to argue with that as well. But those are going to be heavily banged over the next couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I'm always surprised that the Ottawa Senators are managed. They get away from signing bonuses. Like Thomas Shabbat, eight years, 64, does not have a signing bonus. Mm -hmm. um, and I forget who else just recently signed. There's no signing bonuses attached to these deals. And it shocks me when you see the rest of the league get them, that these players managed to not sign these deals and work yeah. towards well, when you're dangling higher. 64 yeah. million dollars in front of a player coming out of his entry-level contract yeah. it's a little easier to poach those guys versus the free agents and other signings right well the other piece of that is you know a money manager will tell you of course i'd rather have the money up front but yeah. 
guess what? We're not going to be out there rolling the dice with this money anyway. You've got not only career changing money, but you've got generational money for your family. And, you know, and so now you're talking percentages and, you know, give it to a good money manager and you'll be just fine. Yeah. Let's talk more money and we'll move on to the second topic. We'll be here for the next four hours. Uh, Brady's bunch of cash. How long does the negotiation drag on? And this, uh, should basically be brought to you by Bonisher Excavating because they can just back up the dump truck and dump the piles of cash in his driveway. Of course, visit BonisherExcavating.com for all your aggregate needs and rental of equipment. I love it. I love it. I'm doing the best I can here. Uh, That's good. How much is he worth? So should he be the highest paid Ottawa senator? If you look at, and the jumping off point is obviously Thomas Shabbat at eight years at eight million a year, or is he less than that? And of course, when you see Batherson at five per year, there's got to be somewhere in there where Brady Kachuk is. And then you look at Kotkaniemi, which we'll get to in a sec. I, like, how do you justify where Brady Kachuk should be? And if you're if you are Brady Kachuk, I know there's a lot of questions. Should there be the bridge deal for him? Yeah, that's your own comfort level. It's such a personal thing. Uh, it's almost like the you know the question you're going to ask me: Should you go to college or play junior? It's very very personal and. You know, you might look at Brady Kachuk and say, well, you know, his dad, I think, you know, his dad was always involved in contract negotiations, it seemed like, when he played. And, you know, his brother signed a bridge deal. So there you have a, a peer in the family and a yeah. comp in the family, but at a different time, pre-pandemic, you know, not the same. And it may be just the, the individual's comfort. And Brady may look at this and say, look, you know, I understand all that. Um, Svechnikov, I think you should throw in there as a talking point. And mm-hmm. you may look at it and say, you know, I'm comfortable being in Ottawa with this group of guys. And I think we can be a part of something special. And if there's a slight premium lost on that or a slight, you know, I, I decide to take X number of dollars at X number of years. It's it's north of Drake Batheson for me. It's, um, yeah. it's, it's. I, I keep looking at Svechnikov. I think Brady is a special player. And mm-hmm. does he have to be the highest paid player on the team? Yeah, I think you get away with that a little bit because uh, of the position. And, you know, and there's only a handful of defensemen that make big money in the league. I mean, that's how well Thomas Shabbat is thought of. I know this summer there's been some nice signings, but those are elite, elite players, guys. Mm-hmm. And there are just, there are more forwards and they're just flat out are. So I, I think... You know, I was a conservative guy as a player in different situations, not a high draft pick and not a draft pick period. But, um, you know, <laughs> I, I always felt if I was comfortable with my term and my money, I couldn't be concerned with what Timmy Kerr was making or Brian Propp was making. You know, I was worried about myself and my family and, and I just didn't worry about it. I, I simply didn't. And so I think he'll find a comfort level. I can see him not doing the same thing as his brother did. Now, when all this pandemic started, I thought a lot of guys would roll the dice on themselves and sign bridge deals Hmm. because the money's not in the market. I mean, it's easy. If I'm a manager right now, I'm just like, guys, it's fine to say we don't have the money in the market, but yet you're seeing some long-term deals. And I think that goes to the personal nature of this. I mean, there's some guys who are more conservative who just say, you know what? It's not about ego for me because the difference between eight and $8.1 million is simply ego correct i mean it really is and you know who's the highest paid and and you know and maybe we're the (laughs) the least ego driven sport that there is of the major sports so you're seeing some contracts signed and and don't raise your eyebrows because if it's personal comfort level and and that player 
thrives at that dollar figure, that's what it's about for the organization. Okay, so then when you, because you, I'm glad you brought up Svechnikov. I think that's a great comparable. And he's got what, 7.75, I believe, is his AV. So are we looking north of that then? Like, would, would an eight by eight contract look fairly understanding in this situation? Yeah, I think it could. I think right around there. I, you know, once again, uh, you know, if, if you gave me that number, I'd be fine with it. And, you know, yeah, okay. I'd be fine with comparing myself to that player. And what yeah. that player's, the impact he's had on the National Hockey League and the impact he's going to have on the National Hockey League. Different market, yeah. you know, how, how do you even compare Carolina and Ottawa, you know, as markets? You, I don't know, you know, I mean. That's hard to do. It's really hard to do. So personal preference, um, if that were put on the table today and I were Brady Kachuk, that would be a long day for me looking at that. Yeah, and Pooley, I guess my last question from my end here, at least, there's a lot of chatter in the Sens world right now with regards to where's Brady at at the moment? Is he going to fly to Ottawa prior to camp despite not having a deal? Or is he going to stay back home? Uh, what are your thoughts with that? And, and what should be comforting news to the Sens? Like, should we just tell them it's okay? He doesn't need to be in Ottawa. This is normal when it comes to this kind of uh, process. He doesn't need to be in Ottawa, but I believe he needs to be in Ottawa for the start of camp. I mean, I, I, uh, I, I'm, not a fan, I'm not a fan of guys missing camp. I never have been. Boy, oh boy, if you give me 100 cases of it, I'll tell you 99 that didn't turn out very well. That's um, the coach so in you right now, too, probably, right? You know what? It's the coach. <laughs> it's the manager. But it was the player, too, Mark. It really was. Yeah. It bugged me when guys miss camp. Because I'm like, hey, guys, you've had all summer to do this. Bug your agent. True. Pound your True. agent. Don't tell your agent he's got other stuff to do. I mean, you pound him. You're one of you're one of his key guys. You pound him. And, and I was a guy about getting the deal done. Like, get it done. Yeah. Yeah, and especially deal. in this case, right? If he's if he's potentially your captain, I mean, what does that say when it comes to setting a precedent moving forward, right? And I think that resonates throughout the group as well. I don't I'll like the held, distraction. Right? Yeah, I don't like the distraction, and I don't like the physical element of missing camp. I don't. Of course. Oh, and of course. the longer it goes, man, those guys yeah. come back, and all of a sudden they have so much to prove, and somebody's popping a groin or you yeah, know trying to do something injuries. they didn't do, and you're like, man, nah, you know what? And and. The guys that they line up with, even if they're a week ahead at pure camp level, you're behind. You're flat yeah. out behind. Totally agree. Uh, last question on this, because you were the captain of the Philadelphia Flyers storied franchise. Uh, they're dangling. They want whoever is signed to a long-term deal to be the captain of the Ottawa Senators, meaning if Brady signs a bridge, he doesn't get it. Is that fair to negotiate that way? Um, no, I think the captain's the captain. And, and sometimes it doesn't matter on on whom you put the letter. <laughs> you, know, you can put the letter on somebody, and the rest of the group goes, "Yeah, well, you know, he's not really the captain." And and you know, reliving it last week, as I mentioned, I was back at the fantasy camp. I was asked the question: of, I was a captain my second year in the league, which was totally ridiculous. And 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 I made I always made sure that I said. I was following Bobby Clark as captain. I wasn't replacing Bobby Clark as captain. Give me a break, you know? Mm. And and I thought a lot. It really hurt me right away. I'd had a really good rookie year. Now, understand, too, I was four years of college and a full year in Europe and then a full year in the NHL and then captain. And so it was a little bit different timeline. You know, I was 24 years old, almost 25 when I was named captain. And so it was different, but still all the things that came at me that were off ice issues. And, you know, I'm dealing yeah. with this rookie coach named Mike Keenan, who was an absolute <laughs> maniac. And, <laughs> and I'm the liaison between him and the team and yeah. all of the different things, like somebody having problems 
at home, somebody having this, somebody having problems with an agent, with a contractor you talked about. You know, captains do a lot of things behind the scenes, and I don't like putting that on a young player's plate unless I'm mm-hmm. absolutely sure that he's ready for it. And I had a lot of guidance and, you know, and some of those guys I saw last week and Brad Marsh was terrific in his support. He'd been a captain, a young captain in Atlanta and slash Calgary. Mark Howe was unbelievable. Unbelievable. The dear departed Brad McCrimmon was just special in the way they embraced me and supported me as captain. So that would look to the older guys in the Ottawa locker room right now, you know, who say, you know, if in fact Brady Kachuk were named captain, the support group around him has to be ironclad and has to be yeah. really, really, you know, both protective of him, divert things from him that he shouldn't be handling. And because the first thing I thought was, you know, I, I had a great rookie year. Like, okay, what do they want from me now? Do I need, you know, what do I need to do? And you're analyzing every situation. You lose a couple of games in a row. Do I call a meeting? You know, <laughs> I don't <Yeah>. know, <laughs> yeah. you know? And, and so it's a, it's a lot on your plate. And, and I think it is more so, in hockey than it is other sports. And I say that pridefully. I think the captain still does mean something. And the assistant captains when wearing a letter was something I was very proud of. I don't think it should be a negotiating tool because I think the captain is the captain. Did you get the inter- the instant, um, I guess, respect because you had the Mark Howes and, and Brad Marshes around you? Or was it tough for you? Because that's a pretty strong dressing room. Yeah, no, I, I did because I had those guys standing beside me. And I mean, I, I don't know what was said behind the scenes, but it was pretty clear. And we had some quiet guys that were gentle giants in that room, Timmy Kerr being one of them, you know, um, Dave Brown, a really young Dave Brown, you know, coming to the league, some of the tough guys and some of the guys, you know, I just had a lot of support. And, and I also had a coach who, who in his study of leadership um, believed chaos worked better than anything. So, I mean, he made things really chaotic for me and to handle. And, you know, and sometimes he'd look at this podcast right now and say, okay, how can, how can I create controversy here? And I'd say, yeah, you know, I think it's been pretty good so far. You know, we're a few minutes in. It's going pretty well. No, 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 no. If we create controversy, it'll be better. And you're like, uh, no, it won't. <laughs> you know, three of us are having dinner. We're fine, Mike. We don't need to create controversy at this table. But, right. but you know, he, he was what he was. He was effective in what he did. But a large part of it was dealing with him and then, in turn, dealing with the players. And mm. But that strong group accepting it was huge. Yeah, Interesting. All right, I'm coming back to Mike Keenan after. Um, uh, number three on our topics, uh, $6 million man. Presented by sportsinteraction.com slash volume of thought. Uh, get your account set up today. Get ready for the upcoming NFL season. Starts on Thursday. Sportsinteraction.com, Canada's online sports book. And that is, if you were a batting man, uh, Pooley, uh, the, yes, Barry Cock and the Emmy Saga. Who won this? And you can even say Arizona if you want to. Mm, yeah. Um, Billy Armstrong was coy and holding Dvorak um, until after this was available because there were other people that wanted him. And so that was a coy move by Arizona and Billy Armstrong. Um, Mark Bergevin reacted very well in that. I think he got a pretty good player in Christian Dvorak. I think he's a three, guys. I think he's going to be typecast as a two. I think he's a three. Um, he could be a, a 40 to 50 point guy. Um, I do think Suzuki is going to be a one in Montreal. Maybe not quite there yet, but I think he's a one. But along the likes of a... Uh, you know, an 80, 90.1, a 70.1, a, a, an 
I don't throw this around lightly. I see a, a young Patrice Bergeron in, in Nick Suzuki and the way he plays the oh, game. Wow. Yeah, that good defensively, Mark. Um, like that aware, you would love him because every time you would look up, his stick blade would be five feet away from yours if you were oh, coming around nice. the net or in the corner. Yeah. And one of the first things I saw on him was he moved his stick in training camp around the other side of a player to make a little outlet pass for Weber. And I thought, okay, that's different, right? Like if every time you look up as a defenseman and your number one center is 10 feet away from you and open, um, that's a different player. And I think Nick Suzuki is. So I think there, there's potentially your number one in Montreal. Dvorak has to be a number two. They simply don't have someone else to do that. And, you know, and I say these numbers, and let's face it, Philippe Deneau was miscast as a number one center in the National yeah. Hockey League. Mm-hmm. It just was. It wasn't his yep. fault. But I was miscast as a number one center in the National Hockey League for my first couple of years. And, and I say this humbly, guys. When you lose in the finals and their second-line center is wearing an Edmonton jersey with number 11 on it, <laughs> that probably means you're not a good enough first-line center to beat that team, right? I mean, that's just common <laughs> sense. I mean... <laughs> Messi was a good player <laughs> and yeah, their number one yes, was really good. <laughs> so, um, you know, and, and Hey, Deno did a great job in doing what he did and, and, he you did. know, was the de facto number one center, but he wasn't a number one center. And yeah. so Dvorak, I think on it, on a really good competitive team is a really good number three. And I've talked to some people, a number of people about him over the weekend and, uh, and I knew him going back to, he's a Chicago kid. So I'd watched him and really, does he have an offensive upside from what he's shown? He might with better players and he's going to get better players and better wingers mm. in Montreal. Um, you know, he's a big point guy in that London Knights team in, in junior and, you know, he's a good size. He, he's really good on face-offs. I mean, he's, he's terrific on face-offs and I, I think he might've, he might've been as high as a 55% guy already in the league. So, um, you know, Bergevin reacted well to losing Kotkaniemi and essentially guys, you traded Kotkaniemi for Dvorak. I mean, yeah. essentially, that's what you did at a much better number. It's in the fours, and he's four more years. And so that's what you've done. You've rolled the dice of the future of Kotkaniemi, who I like Kotkaniemi, but you've rolled the dice of the future of him at 6.1 moving forward um, for the security of a player who's all round today. He's better. He's four years older. And, and you know, you've made, you, you may have made today's team better in terms of uh what he brings Dvorak brings right now Kotkaniemi's mm-hmm. got the upside and the roll of the dice with it and so yeah. you know and you know you, you have to factor in it the first are protected there's a lot of language in there yeah. um the second is until 2024 for Montreal going back so if you if you weigh it all out is you've essentially traded Kotkaniemi on a one-year deal at 6.1 for you know Christian Dvorak on a on a four-year deal at at four plus million. Okay, so let me put it to you this way: uh, you were the used to be the Leafs VP of Hockey Operations. You were the GM of the Marlies, but now you're also on the broadcast side. As a broadcaster, do you love the carnage that this has created? And would you be pulling your hair out as a member of the Leafs at this? Would you consider this to be nonsense of what the Carolina Hurricanes have done? I don't. I don't. The delivery pointed that way Wally I think the delivery the language the $20 signing bonus the <laughs> you know it all pointed to sort of a ludicrousness that was like you know it was like really um but they got they got a young player 
in a year in which they have cap space. And, you know, and there was, you know, I would say there's a Finnish influence here. You know, they've got, uh, you know, pretty heavy Finn presence on that team. Um, and, and, you know, they like this young player. He's a personable young kid. Um, does this let them push Jordan Stahl into the four hole? And Oof. if that's the case, yeah, that's a load in the four hole, isn't it? Um, but Don Waddell said they're going to move him to left wing. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting to me. I don't, if, if, yeah, it is. It is. Um, I don't see that. I, I don't see that at all. But anyway. I, I think he's a centerman. I, I do. I, yeah. I think he's a centerman. I agree. Um, so, and maybe that's short term. Maybe that's their short term thought. And maybe that was also said in light of, you know, Jordan Stahl sitting on the other side of Waddell yeah. at some point and saying, exactly. oh, no, yeah. we're using him as a winger. We're using him yeah. as a winger. But, um, you know, Caroline has made some interesting moves because they lost the big one in Dougie Hamilton, but they got a sneaky replacement there in that Tony D'Angelo. Eh? He's had the off-ice, yeah. you know, situation going on. But from an offensive yeah. standpoint, they've added Ian Cole. And, you know, they've added Ethan Bear. So, um, yeah, Caroline is – they're different than they were. And, and, and I, don't, I don't mind that word because if you haven't won, then dare to be different. Exactly. Agreed. I, would you be okay if you were the in the management of that team to be what looks like they're the heels of the NHL at the moment when they actually bring in Tony yeah. D'Angelo? They're called the bunch of jerks. Like they they try to push the limits because they're trying to interact with their fans. I get all that. I love it. Would you be okay on the management side? I guess if I were winning, I would. Yeah, for sure, <laughs> you know, that's the bottom line, right? You got to win. Yeah. And and Tom Dundon, guys, Montreal took a lot of heat for that offer sheet <laughs> that it wasn't positioned properly. The roll of the dice was the $20 million signing bonus. And up to that point, that owner had not shown a propensity to spend cash. He just hadn't. And yeah. so that was the roll of the dice. You know, that was, you know, and Sedgwick in Montreal is, is I mean, he's one of the guys that designed the cap with Brandon Pridham and in uh, the NHL office. So, you know, and, um, and so you, you, you'd, it wasn't a blind offer sheet to Ajo the clicker was the $20 million signing bonus to an owner that looked like he wasn't, you know, throwing cash around at that point. He's got a lot of it, but, um, yeah. but, but he almost took that as a personal insult that may have helped Caroline in the long run in spending money and pushing him to do that and saying, okay, it's okay. You know, it's okay to do that because we got a really good player in Ajo and we got him locked in. So I just, I, I, I thought the delivery of the Carolina offer sheet was the only like the, almost mocking Birdland by putting the exact same language in it. Right. Almost the, yeah. to a word, you know, it was like, yeah. okay, you got a good player. You, you know, you are rubbing it in a little bit. Nah. Yeah. Which shocks Even me though their social no media is brilliant, Wally. I mean, yeah, yes, it is. It's very good. And I, I, it shocks me because I know Don Waddell a bit. Like, he's pretty – he seems fairly stoic. And for this, you yes. can tell this is completely outside of his comfort zone almost in a way, right? Anyway. Yeah, um, this I, this appears to be – and I don't know Tom Dundon personally, but appears yeah. to me more Tom Dundon. And you know and what? It. It, if he's a guy who's stepping up and he's paying his players now and, you know – you know, he may just have not wanted to pay the players he had, and that's that's his prerogative as well. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. I, I I just like the news that we're getting in the middle of, I guess, or the end of August. Um, all right, moving on. Number four, prep school, uh, where you are very familiar with. So, what's the latest? Uh, what's the I guess the best route of late with high end NHL players? It's brought to you by GongShow.com, and of course, uh, they just got their fall lineup of lids in GongShow.com, where. 
also they have some merch of Wally Mathot. You can go there and buy a Wally Mathot hat or a t-shirt or sweatshirt. They're very nice. Uh, anyway, um, NCAA versus CHL. What's the best path to take? Now, just for people who don't know, you coached at Notre Dame for 10 years. You also played there for four. Uh, I don't know if you saw the football game last year. Phenomenal finish. But anyway, what would you suggest to players who are looking to make a decision on CHL or the NCAA? Let me start with the second last question. Of course, I saw the football game last night. <laughs> of Did course, you my granddaughter. Want the State my granddaughter was. No. My granddaughter <laughs> was in a Notre Dame t shirt. And of course, oh, her mom went to Notre awesome. Dame and her dad went to Ohio State. So she's got all kinds of issues and she's only one year old. Um, <laughs> you have no choice but to watch the game. You have no choice. So oh, I've got two fair. daughters that went there. All three of my daughters work there. So, you know, oh, so wow. anyway. Um, the answer to your question, the best answer I can possibly give is yes. <laughs> Both options are great. I mean, it's so individual. And yeah. in the recruiting process, one of the first questions I would ask, you know, we'd be talking to a really highly touted young man. And in the first day, you could call him back then, was July 1st. And do you like school? And if the answer was no, then the conversation wasn't going much further because like, mm. you have to go to class. You have yeah, to like exactly. school to go to a place like that. You have to embrace it. You have to embrace the whole process of growth as an individual and, and, you know, figure out that maybe the statistics class that you absolutely hate is in some way helping your discipline in hockey. I, you know, I don't know. And mm. there, there's absolutely no answer to this question. It is so personal and so individual. I talked about contracts. I'm going to talk about, you know, the, the development path the exact same way. And you can pick out a ton of guys, young stars in the league right now. Take the two defensemen, McCarr and Quinn Hughes, who both went back for their second years and catapulted themselves in the league. Um, Owen Power doing the same thing now at Michigan, the first overall pick. Um, mm -hmm. Brady Kachuk, one year and out. And, and so that was his decision and has worked out very well for him. And Here's the one thing I would say, though. I want a star player at some time to have been the absolute big fish in the league he played. I don't want a guy who was just a good player because those guys don't come into the NHL and learn how to dominate a game. And if you are truly, you have to have dominated at some level, not just been a good player at some level. And mm. the very best players know how to dominate a game. Why? Because they've done it at some point. And, you know, you know, Mark, I, I, I think of, you know, I'm flashing back to a couple of years back and that, that when you would look over and know you were skating beside a guy who was totally capable of taking over a game. And you also knew on the ice, there were only a handful of guys in, in the world that are capable of doing that. Yeah. But, but guys can do it for short periods of time or maybe a period or maybe a key penalty kill but they have to be able to take over whatever they do well. And, and if you rush through the development stages, you don't get that. You mm -hmm. simply don't. And, you know, when I look at organizations, I've got a lot of friends that run major junior teams and do such a great job of development. And, and you know, and just that I would have no qualms about sending my son to play for. And, and I've also got NCAA coaches that I feel the same way about. And likewise, on both sides, I've got development situations that I wouldn't be comfortable sending my son into. Mm -hmm. So you got to do your homework. You have to absolutely do your homework. But if you're going the NCAA route to a really good academic school, you've got to have an understanding that 
you know, and so what did I learn in college? I learned balance. Um, I learned time management. You know, I learned, I learned leadership aspects of what I felt helped me, you know, as a captain, as a leader in the NHL, um, you know, a, a lot of things that, that I felt now I was a different case because I was really small and, and it was that football, the aforementioned football team. I started to grow really late in my development. I played one year at tier two and didn't even make the team at the start of the year and then went to Notre Dame and it was still kind of a scrawny kid. And I got real sick at the start of my sophomore year and it made me miss some time in school. So I had to stay that summer and train and that I, I trained with the football team that summer um, between my sophomore and junior year and took my conditioning, my love of conditioning, my ability to condition my body to a whole different level. And that yeah. affected my career in a really strong manner. So that's another aspect of it is the off ice part of it. You know, practice game ratio is much different um, than it is in the OHL. But once again, you know, I look at, I don't know, you know, Stevie Steos in Hamilton is building a model organization there with Michael Landlauer and, you know, they're just doing a great job. And what I've, I'd have no qualms about sending my son to a program like that in, in the OHL. Yeah. And I think at least in my case, like I got, to, I got to play in London. I played for the hunters. I won the Memorial cup there. It was literally the best case scenario, but I always look back and think, what if I didn't end up in London? What if I ended up in some other organization that perhaps wasn't mm -hmm. as highly touted and it didn't necessarily go my way. And, and, and that's where I kind of go back to the school reference where I'm like, you know, I, I think I missed out on that because I played in Columbus. We knew a lot of the Ohio State players and we could see the experience they were having. Occasionally the odd evening, we'd go play, play flip cup at the, at the hockey house and get to meet all the guys. And they were having the times of their lives, like really. And I think if it was my kid, I would probably push him. Assuming he was okay with school, I would probably push him to school. But if he really had in his mind that he wanted to play major junior, I would be okay with that too. Because like you said, it's an incredibly personal decision. And there's no, nobody has a crystal ball and can tell you which is the right direction for your child, right? I think the kid knows best in that moment. You can give them a little guidance, but ultimately it's their decision. And I always put the ownership on the player, you know, when I first start talking, when I get the first call, it's it's from a parent that I played with or, you know, knew from somewhere and said, hey, you know, my son's got these decisions to make. And my first thing is, okay, I want to talk. I want to talk to him you exactly. know, because it's up to him to do the homework and see if he wants to do this. And, you know, yeah. you know, I, I think most parents and, and a lot of the guys that I played with that didn't enjoy it, but saw it like you did, Mark. And I hope yeah. you were buying at that point. I hope you were treating <laughs> when you were playing in the NHL and they were playing in college. But, uh, you know, I, I look at it and say, you know, I, I, I've seen it both ways. And, you know, I had a young man play for me and he was an undrafted player and he played one year of NCAA hockey and he was so good. And so, you know, and, and from his family situation, you know, I sat down with him at the end of the year and there was a lot of interest in him. And we were playing Michigan in the, in the NCAAs that year in the, in the playoffs. And they had an undrafted Mike Van Ryan who was scheduled to go in the first mm. round. And my guy, Mark Eaton, was every bit as good of him as him at that point, was a free agent. And so, you know, I sat down with the family after that first year at Notre Dame and said, you know, back then it was uh, open signing bonuses. And I just said, guys, you, you know, I think you're best suited to take the next step and go to the, go to the, uh, to the pro game. So mm. I didn't encourage him to stay in school because I thought it was in his best interest, everything that I looked yeah. at, to make the move when he did. That's awesome. It's interesting. It's a fascinating debate because people can have it all the time because it's such a different 
perspective on each side. All right. Uh, well, finally. you've got Tyler Boucher now who's attracting right. all the attention, right? And that, and that, yeah. so it's, you know, and, and his dad back in a time when it wasn't as usual, especially the prep school route he had taken, went to the NHL and played. So, yeah. you know, now his son is actually doing the opposite when it's normally the different case, you know, when a, yeah. when a dad played college and his son goes to major, it's the opposite in this case. Yeah. So, and that's what made me think of it. It was just what Tyler Boucher has done. And clearly it's becomes almost the games to practice ratios that you talked about, right? There's so many games in the CHL compared to the ones you play in the NCAA, but the facilities and the practice time you get is such a greater value. I think, so, and Wally, I think just yeah. to add to that, just because I experienced where my agent, sorry, family advisor at the time, I was like 16. <laughs> he, he took me to, I think it was Colgate. Um, or St. Lawrence University in upstate New York. And they took me down there for a game to watch before I made my decision to either play junior hockey or take the NCAA route. And I thought, I've, at least from my personal experience, because I guess like Pooley, I was a late developed player, physically, mentally, you name it, uh, late bloomer, if you will. And I found it incredibly intimidating when I went to that NCAA barn and watched the game and you're watching these guys flying everywhere in this very physical game. For me, that turned it off for me. And I think had I gotten a little bit better guidance, maybe I probably would have pursued that route. But I, I just going to that game and experiencing it firsthand, I, I just it was terrifying. That's that's all I can remember. That's funny. Yeah, that is that is interesting. I yeah. never would have thought you would have said the NCAA was a more physical brand than playing for the London. Well, they're like playing one London game Knights. a week and they're, they're men, right? Like, so, so <laughs> yeah, like yeah. think of all the piss and vinegar they have, like they're, these guys are fired up and they're bigger and they're stronger. I mean, it was not even close to be honest with you. Maybe, you know, there, there might be some skill discrepancies here and there, but really I still think a, a good NCAA team is going to beat a good junior team any day of the week. It's not even a competition. Yeah. Cooley. Anyway, you think that's true? Uh, I do no? in the, in, I do in the right cycle. Yeah. Yes, I do. Yeah. Just, you know, I mean, you know, a, a school like late state was the first one they were taking 20 year old freshmen. So they had 24 year old seniors. I mean, that's a mm. big age gap at that point, yeah. you know, it is. And big time, you know, and, and then they mixed in their Dougie weights and, you know, their, their superstars with those guys. So it's usually a mix and that's where, you know, it's a real factor, but, uh, I mean, you look at that Michigan team right now, holy smokes, <laughs> what, what are they, you know, yeah. They might be able to beat some American League teams. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. (laughs) And they're loaded, you know, and they've got that group of of talented young kids. So I I think it's cyclical, but the best teams, um, well, they played for a while, that national development program played against, you know, and that was before they were drafted, um, played against OHL teams through that cycle that they did. And so they were always competitive games. All right. Uh, finally, uh, number five, and that's uh, I, I want to see Pooley's face light up talking about the Broad Street Bullies versus the Danbury Trashers. Uh, if you haven't seen it, uh, this documentary is on Netflix. It's fantastic. Uh, this brought to you, ironically, by FacesMag.ca because the Trashers were always looking to mangle faces on a nightly basis. FacesMag.ca, some great articles in this latest issue, including on Austin Matthews and Igor Sokoloff of the Ottawa Senators. All right. So, uh, Pooley, I don't know if you've seen the documentary, but which team would you rather face on a nightly basis, the Broad Street Bullies or the Danbury Trashers? Well, I, I haven't seen the whole thing. I've seen pieces of it, and I know the premise of the story. And last week uh, at the fantasy camp in Philly, uh, Brad Marsh is running the organization now. He's just doing a terrific job. And there were 80 skaters there, 80 fantasy skaters, four teams of 20. And on Saturday night, they showed them the documentary Broad Street Bullies. I'd never seen it, guys. 
I, I oh, no. the number of the guys. <laughs> I'd never seen it. I, I it, it, it was remarkable. Sitting in the room were Dave Schultz, Boris Kinderchuk, Bob Kelly, Joe Watson, and Billy Barber. So you had a chance to sit and watch them watch themselves through this. It, it was it was Amazing. remarkable. And you know, I was the recipient in the generation I played of benefiting from what they had created. And I remember talking to Steve Larmer, who I don't know well at a golf term one day, and he said the first time he went into Philly as Chicago Blackhawk, the bus pulled into the tunnel and he stood up and no one else moved. And he looked around and he said, like, are we going in or? <laughs> he didn't even know if anybody was going to play with him that night. And it was that, I mean, and, and so the first team I played on, you know, had a number of those guys. They were kind of just phased out, 82, 83. And, and then the next generation of them came in. And, boy, we benefited greatly. And people, I, I laugh because people say, you were the captain of the Philadelphia Flyers. Were you tough? And I'd say, I have no idea. Because <laughs> I never had to be. <laughs> I mean, if I got involved, my own teammates got mad at me. Because they said, look, you're not very good at it. Don't don't hurt our reputation. And that's what we do. That's not what you do. And uh, so I'll tell you what, what a rare makeup of characters that group was. I mean, they mm. just were, right? It was such a different time. And we're I'm watching in shock. And, you know, my first mentor and roommate down there was Bobby Clark. And he would tell me stories. And he would say, sometimes on the bench, we would cringe. And it was our guys doing what they were doing on the ice. <laughs> he said, we would just say, oh, man, can you believe yeah. it? Yeah. Just, I mean, it was a it was a period piece almost, right? It yeah. was just a, it, it was something that had never been done to that level. Um, the name fit, whoever dubbed them the Broad Street Bullies, that was all part of the documentary. And, and the rare grouping of characters. But by the way, they had some really good players on those teams. You know, mm. Bernie Perrant to Clarkie to Reggie Leach to McLeish to Barber. They had superstars and Hall of Famers on that team. So that sort of gets lost a little bit in the story. Um, I think I'm taking the agent experience of the uh, Broad Street Bullies, Wally, to answer your question. Well, yeah. And very fair. Like, they could play, right? Like you talk about that they had some extremely talented hockey players that got lost in it. But you guys could play the game. And I just – I can't imagine almost the fear of having to go into that spectrum knowing – we might lose on the scoreboard and we're likely going to have our face annihilated. Yeah. yeah. I had a great long chat with Chico Resch when we traded for him in the mid eighties. And, and he said, you know, you get everyone's best game because they were afraid of being beaten physically. They, they, they knew there's a chance they were going to be beaten on the scoreboard. We had some really good teams, but they were afraid to be beaten physically. And, and when you play a team like that, you have to be so ready that yeah. you're getting everybody's best game, which in turn then makes us better. I mean, one year, guys, we were 32-4-4 four and four at home. Wow. Like, picture driving to the rink, knowing you're going to lose four games at home. I don't even know which four it was. <laughs> you're feeling pretty good about yourself, right? Like you're, No and, shit. <laughs> and, and I laugh because I'm like, you know, there were some nights when I was nervous and I played for the home team. Like... Like crazy, just, yeah, the Philadelphia took so much pride in it as fans. And it was fun at yeah. this fantasy camp because there was a real mix of guys. A lot of them 
came in from all over the country and uh but they were flyer fans growing up and you know two doctors from carmel indiana who brought two of their buddies they played men's league with but they'd grown up in philly and were huge flyer fans but they were fans of whichever team they were a certain age at so if they were you know 14 to 18 years old and their high school buddies were fans of this team or if they were in college they were a fan of this team and so mm. it's really funny because we had a nice mix of alums Johnny LeClaire was there, Danny Briere, Ian LaPerriere, uh, Mark Howe, um, mentioned Marshy, Joe Watson, uh, Keith Jones. So we had a nice mix of ages. So it was almost like someone was there from each of the generations right up through Danny Briere. Nice. Wow. Fascinating. All right. Those are the headlines. I want to keep talking about the Philadelphia Flyers because it fascinates me. I wanted to, you talked about Mike Keenan. Um, I'm not sure. I, well, you also play with Mike Milbury as a head coach too, which I can't imagine if you <laughs> I can just tell by your reaction. Uh, can you explain those two as head coaches? I can. Um, when I'm asked, obviously Keenan had a lot of success. I think the best suited coach for the team I played for at that time was Mike Milbury. Wow. And yeah. Yeah, guys, he was really good. He was really, really good. He was cerebral. Um, we had a good locker room. He knew when to take the foot off the gas. He knew when to let us go. He knew when to let us figure things out for ourselves. And and I, I've told some stories about some of the stuff he did that I, I just thought was so unique. And, and one I don't think I've shared, it was during a playoff series. And so in my two years with him, we went to the finals and went to the conference finals and we lost to Mario's first cup team. So really good years. And, and we had a good locker room, Cam Neely, Ray Bork, um, we had some veterans like Gary Galley in that room. The goaltenders were both leaders, Andy Mogan, Reggie Lemelin. Um, some really good players. David Christian was a good player. Craig Janney was a really good player. And so um, Super Dave Reed uh, was terrific. And so we were losing, I think we lost a game and we had a meeting and he brought in a couple of his team pictures. And he went into this long description of where these pictures were in his house. They were in a long hallway where he walked down to get to the garage. <clears throat> and he said, so, you know, some days I blow right through them in a rush. I got to go somewhere. And some days I stop and I look at these pictures. I think he had three of them. And he said, and I look at specific guys and I think about those specific guys. And I think, you know, I'll think, that guy got every single thing he had out of himself. He shouldn't have even been in the NHL and he forged a great career. And I'll look at another guy and go, if he'd have given us half of what he'd had, we'd have been a better team. Hmm. And he said, so, so these pictures are going to hang in your house somewhere, this team picture from this year. Wherever it's hanging, it might be in your gym. And you look at it one day and you're going to go through different guys that you haven't thought about in years. And you're going to wonder where they are, what they're doing, and if they're satisfied with what career they had, or if they're bitter, they regret what they didn't do. And by the way, guys are going to look at you. What are they going to say about you? What are they going to say about you? So he did things like that, that separated him from a normal motivational speech for me. I mean, like, I think that's pretty cool. And, yeah, and I, I awesome. told, I told James Duffy a story and, uh, for his book and and it was about a skate we had or didn't have and we were on a six game road trip and and it was the first night we lost 3-2 and, and Winnipeg was loaded they had Howard Chuck they had a really good team um, 
Thomas Dean was a great player. And so we lost them. It was fine. You know, we were going on a six game road trip. He didn't say a word. We weren't playing till the fall. That was a Sunday night. We weren't playing till the following Saturday in Vancouver, the full week off. Oh. And, uh, so we had three days totally off in van. So he didn't say a word after the game. And then we landed in van Monday morning and he said, we're going straight to the rink. And we were like, oh, geez, here we go. Right. So we get to the rink. He said, you got 20 minutes to get on the ice. So the guys are rushing to get on the ice and cursing and swearing. And, you know, you know, for me, 20 minutes, it took me 20 minutes to tie one of my skates. And so now we're rushing and when we got on the ice. He made a stand right along the boards on this all the way along the board. So we couldn't move. And so he said, listen, we lost to a really good Winnipeg game, team last night. We were first overall in the NHL at this point. And he said, that really doesn't bother me. He said, but what bothers me is what's going on with some of you guys. And so I'm going to get that off my chest. We have the ice for three hours each of the next three days. I could kill you physically if I chose to. Um, that's not what I'm going to do. But I need a workout. So I'm going to get a workout in. I'm going to go over and back twice for each one of you. But first, I'm going to tell you what's bugging me about you. So he went no right, down, right down the line, Mark. And, you know, he started with, with uh, Lyndon Byers. And he said, Lyndon, you're one of the toughest guys in the NHL. Some nights you fight at a perfect time. Some nights you have no clue. Some nights you help the team. Some nights you hurt the team. You've got to figure it out, Lyndon. And you're a pretty good player. And then he pauses and goes, and by the way, I know where you were last Wednesday night. I know where you were Thursday night. I know where you were Friday night. And if that doesn't end, you won't have to worry about any of the first stuff I said, because you won't be here. You won't be around. Wow. And he said, for that, I'm going to skate. So he goes over and back, over and back, twice. <laughs> so now we're watching him, right? He's probably in his late 30s at the time, early 40s. We're thinking, holy geez, what's going to happen here? So he gets to me, he said, three weeks ago, we traded for the captain of the Philadelphia Flyers. He said, I walked into our locker room after our game. I couldn't believe how excited they were. We traded for the captain of the Philadelphia Flyers. Harry Stinnett actually made a move. Like he helped our hockey team. He said, you storm in here and some nights you're our best player. Some nights your head's back in Philadelphia. He said, you're not a Philadelphia Flyer anymore. When you decide you're a Boston Bruin, we're going to have a chance to win. And for that, I'm going to skate. And he goes over and back, over and back. Wow. And it, it was unbelievable. And he got to uh, he got to Craig Janney, who was so talented. And he looked at him and he said, "You are possibly the worst conditioned twenty three year old athlete in all of the major league sports. And for you, I will skate nowhere." And he went right oh, to the next guy. No way! Wow! Wow! So oh, that's so we're, we're we're waiting for one guy, right? He gets to number seventy seven. He goes Ray Bork. He mm. goes, "I played with number four. He was really good. He said, you're going to go down, I don't know, top five in the history of the game, maybe top four, I don't know. He said, but you still got to use the middle of the ice, don't you? Hmm. You still got to step up and throw it up the middle of the ice. And he said, Ray, Ray, giveaway. And now we're trying not to laugh, right? Like it's like I'm looking at Ray and Ray is human and we're trying is he pissed off? see he's my favorite player of all time i'm into oh this he's one furious here. furious yeah. and so um he nobody skates by the way halfway through we thought he was having a heart attack right sweating turning red we're like what what if he goes down <laughs> out here and not one of us has moved so it goes to the whole team and he said if i see one of you in the next three days i'll probably kill you and he left no way uh, yep yep 
And so now we're looking at each other. We haven't moved. We haven't taken a step right onto the ice. That was it. And, and so I think we had a little scrimmage for, you know, 20 minutes and went to the bar and, uh, and talked about it. <laughs> but Saturday night, and, and, and I actually went back and I believe I've checked this correctly. Uh, we beat Vancouver 7-1. Hmm. And I believe Ray had a goal and five assists. <laughs> and I went over to him after the game and said, how you doing, buddy? He said, Ray, Ray, give away my ass. <laughs> <laughs> so that's awesome. Like to me, guys, and, and, you know, and there's a number of things along those lines that Millbury did that to me, like, that's different, right? Like, yeah, that's, that's different stuff. Now he had coached for two years in Portland and the deal with Harry Sinnon was he was going to coach for two years, then be the assistant GM. So he knew what he was doing. He was only going to do for two years. So he had a two-year bag of tricks. That was it. Hmm. And, you know, whereas Keenan was much more volatile, you know, he was 35 or 36 years old and, and had never coached in the NHL. He'd been mentored by Scotty Bowman for his three years in the American League. And it was constant tension. Like that was his goal was constant, constant, constant tension. No matter yeah. what was going on, he didn't want guys comfortable. And it started with me and, and that was it. And he was just going to create controversy and tension. And, and, you know, we were a young brash group. If you look at that 80, 45 team, you, when you look at hockey DB in 80, 45, you see their ages at that point. And there were two 19 year olds, Derek Smith and Peter Zezel. Um, Tockett was 20. Ronnie Sutter was 20. Murray Craven was 20. I mean, it was ridiculous. Richie Sutter was 20. We were going to the Stanley cup finals and losing to Edmonton kids i mean yeah. really really young and and years later they'll begrudgingly tell you that he might have been the most important coach in their development and i and see how i word that not the best coach they ever had the most important coach in their development so yeah. it's something that i don't think you could do in today's game it was effective uh, if you look at his tenure in each place it got shorter and shorter and shorter and um and you know and he won a stanley cup with the right exact mix of people in New York. So did you guys win in spite of him? Um, sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes we won, like that would keep him quiet. Um, yeah. It, 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 a lot of nights it seemed like it was us against him. And he had this thing where he would stop coaching and it drove me crazy. So I would like take over the bench. Like he wouldn't say who was up next. Like he'd just stop. He'd fold his arms and he'd just stop coaching. He'd be like, Mike, we're down three one in the second period. Like cut you can't, yeah. can't can't get mad and stop coaching. Like, oh, <laughs> it was, yeah. So I would I would literally take over the bench. It's enough. I, 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 so Mark I, Mark I, I, Howe, you were you run the defensive end. I got the floor. Yeah. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I promise not to keep you any longer, but the, one of the questions, so he was known to pull goalies all the time. When you're seeing them pulled after, I don't know, maybe one shot or one goal, like what's the reaction on the bench, or is it just it's just like a line change for you guys at that point. No, I was a goalie lover, um, you know, and, and they loved me because I'd win a defensive zone faceoff and actually come back yeah. and say hi to them once in a while. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so, and some of my closest friends were goalies. I was really close to Pelly Lindbergh, the dear departed. Uh, yeah. um, with Bobby Froze then, Hexy and I, are, you know, remain close to this day and, and Mogi and and Reggie and uh, in Boston and in, you know, even in Washington, we had some really good goalies there and Olaf Kolzig and Byron Defoe and uh, 
Jim Carrey came out of nowhere and won a Vezina yep. in a half a season and Donnie Bolpre was there. So, but um, no, there was management necessary there too. Um, you know, more peer to peer, friend to friend management. Um, and, and you never knew when it was coming. Like it could come, it could come at one, nothing. And we were in Quebec one night in the Coliseum and the goalie, there was no room for him on the bench. And uh, Quebec had a really good team in the mid eighties with Stasny and Hunter and all those guys, Michel Goulet. And, and, um, and so the goalie was on the other side in in like the walkway. Right. And so I think, I think Keenan pulled the Lindbergh at one, nothing. Like, I think he pulled him at one, nothing. And it wasn't his fault. It was a power play goal or something. And so we're, we're five, six minutes into the game. And so he pulls yeah. him. And I remember Frozy came over and, and he had to come to the bench to get his gloves and his mask. <laughs> and he had mustard all down the front of his jersey. <laughs> so he, he'd already gotten into the Chine shows in, in Quebec City because he, he figured, you know, five minutes into the game, I'm not going in. I'll have them right away in case something happens, yeah. you know. Yeah, he his hot dogs going. I said, Hey, how was dinner? And he looks down, he's got mustard all down the front of the chair. <laughs> That's awesome. So oh, good. Man. Uh, I, one last question I got lots for you, but I, we're running out of time. And that is, uh, you talked earlier as we came on the show about time management, uh, as a head coach and being late for me or about meetings. And so I just wanted to follow up with you on that. Well, when you, when you take over as coach, it's up to you to make sure that time is online because, because it, it, it's one of the critical things you have to control as an athlete. You have to be able to control your time. It's easy to control. You might not control your matchup that night, some other things, but you can control being there on time. So I played for coaches that had different philosophies. And when I played for Brian Sutter in Boston, we were a veteran team. He took over uh, for Rick Bonus and whole story into itself. And because we'd been to the conference finals, but Brian Sutter was available and Harry Sinnon had to have him. And you know, Brian would say five o'clock bus and at 4.30, he'd be sitting on the bus in the front seat just fuming because everybody wasn't on the bus. So a couple of us got together. We went to him and said, Brian, tell us what time you want us on the bus. You know, we've, you know we play 82 games in 180 days. Um, sometimes a half hour sleep is important. And if you want me there at 4.30, I'll be there. But if you say five o'clock, I'm, I'm getting on the bus at five o'clock. Yeah. And so um, I, I really thought a lot about it and really studied who I thought was best at it. And, and I learned that Glenn Sater, when he said a five o'clock bus, he got on exactly at five o'clock and nobody got on after him. So I thought, okay, well, that's really fair, right? That's good. Yeah. And so that's what I instituted in college. And so little did I know I had this assistant coach who kind of cut corners a little bit on stuff like that. And it wasn't as important to him. And so the bus was leaving to go on a road trip. Um, from the rink to the arena or to the airport. And so we got, he wasn't there at the rink. And so this is our, our first big road trip of the year. And I'm a brand new coach. I'd been retired two days when I took the coaching job. I had no idea what I was doing. None, zero. Mm. And, but I did know about time. And so um, he's not at the rink. And, and so the other assistant says, oh, sometimes he just goes directly to the airport, you know? And, and so I'm like, okay. In other words, he misses the bus at the rink. So he goes directly to the airport. So we get to the airport, he's still not there. And then they say, your flight's canceled. Well, we were going to Alaska. We're going to Fairbanks, Alaska, which meant going South Bend, Detroit, Cincinnati, Utah, Seattle. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. It was ridiculous, right? And so I said to the busy, like, okay, so the Detroit airport's two and a half hours. Can we go from, okay, let's go. So we left the assistant coach behind. 
And so now the guys, <laughs> he wasn't there. You know, he was aiming on being there for the flight and the flight wasn't going to happen. So, so the reputation was don't be late because we left an assistant coach to fend for himself and get to Alaska for himself. How did he and, handle that, uh, Pooley? Was he, was he pissed? Uh, yeah, he was really rattled at first, but he understood. I mean, he yeah, totally okay, got it. Enough. You know, the program, yeah. it was almost indicative of the program at the time, Mark, because the program was in disarray. Yeah. You know, you can't have stuff like that happen. I mean, nope. come on. Nope. <laughs> you know? I'm with you. you. Know? I, I, it's crazy. You can't miss I, a flight. I, it's it, And it's every little thing. And you mentioned it, 82 games in a small number of days. So we'd be on the road. And, you know, after pregame skate in the morning, like I'm getting everything ready because I want to make the bus at 11 o'clock to go back to a hotel because I'm hungry. I want to eat. But you always had players that were lollygagging. They're a little slower. The bus would be delayed 10, 15 minutes. So I'm on the bus in the morning sweating in my suit because I had to hurry up thinking that the bus was going to leave at 11. And then you got the odd vet come on at 11.15, you know, and taking their time. It drove me nuts. So I'm with you. I think you got to be punctual. You got to respect everybody yeah. else's time. And when that's not respected, it just it just kind of trickles into every other little facet in a team, right? And that that's one thing that some people don't understand. I'm still like that to this day. It drives my wife crazy, but that's the way I live my life. <laughs> well, I got I'm a few years ahead of you, buddy. You're not going to change. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're not going to change. So tell your wife right now. <laughs> Doesn't matter how long you retire. You're not changing. I'll and your kids are going to be on time, her. too. Yeah, you exactly. know, it's really funny. Um, one of the players, uh, Zach Kinderchuk, has a, has a podcast called My Dad Played Hockey. Okay. And, it, and he posted a picture last week of his bag in an airport waiting room, totally alone. And he said, just like my dad, I'm here nice and early. The TSA <laughs> wasn't even open when I got to the airport. And I sent it to my three daughters who are absolute world travelers and they were all howling they said oh yeah we sure. know we know where we inherited <laughs> we're never missing a flight so, oh that's great all good oh yeah um yeah. Pooley, I, I appreciate you stopping by I, I speaking of time management I, I told you 40 minutes and we're well past an hour so uh, i thank you for taking the time out of your day on a labor day holiday monday to chat with yes. us and uh, i i've thoroughly enjoyed every second of this well, guys, I've enjoyed it. I've watched your podcast grow. And, and you know, when these things start, you guys are probably saying, how are we ever going to get anybody on it? And, and then you're saying, okay, we've got a list of guys we got to get to. And, and now guys are looking at you going, I can't believe I haven't been invited on their podcast yet. What am I? <laughs> so, just a pleasure to be with you guys. And, uh, good luck with everything moving forward. You're doing a great job. Thanks, Thanks Willie. Willie. Take care. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, take care. There goes Dave Poulin, who's now writing for the Toronto Star. And, of course, you can see him on TV on TSN. And I think he's now doing TSN 1200 Radio uh, throughout the season as well. So we look forward to more uh, Dave Poulin as the year goes on here. Uh, Matthew, just a, I just had a phenomenal one-hour conversation with Dave Poulin. It was amazing. Yeah. yeah it was fun. And it, it's fun to hear a guy who's not only been an excellent player and a leader in the game – but on the management side, in the broadcasting side, coaching side, so you get every angle from him, and that's what I love about it. You can pick his brain. I, I'm like you all. I felt bad. It just goes on and on, but there's so much information coming in. I'm enjoying it. So that, that was yeah. a lot of fun. I didn't yeah. want it to end. Um, speaking of not ending, we got some more stuff to do, and that includes bringing in Craig, who's been patiently waiting for us to shut up, I guess. Uh, Craig? Yep. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Hey, what's going on, guys? Oh, I'd love to follow Dave Poulin and his unbelievable stories. This is going to be great. <laughs> Here's, Here's Craig. Craig. Okay, yeah. <laughs> you, you made it to the main event, kids. Like, oh, my God. How good was that Ray Bork one? Uh, 
Yeah, he's, that was awesome. We're gonna cut yeah. that, one out. And, that was great. And you just know that he's got tons of stories to tell. And I like yeah. I could have kept them for another hour easily. Uh, uh, yeah, he was great. Uh, well, we, we, we do got some other things to do here. Uh, I got a couple questions from the chat just for you guys. They had a couple for Dave Poulin, but they kind of work for everybody here. Uh, here's one for both of you guys. This comes from uh, 204 Sens MB. Uh, they want to know, do you guys think the Sens have a 30-goal score on their roster this season? We touched on that, right? I think – I think they're there, and if that top line sticks together, you're getting one out of that group. You just this are. This season. So, this season. Pardon me. This season. You think this season? You yeah, think this year. You don't think you don't think there's any potential with any of those guys? I don't know. I, they haven't I had guess a 30 I'm, goal I'm score since 2012, though. Like in 10 I know. Years. Who was the last guy we had that was even close? McCall that would have been Hoff. Spezza. No, Spezza. Well, no, like close. Well, yeah, but what was Hoff? What did Hoff like, max out? Hoff was close. Like, 29. 29. And yeah, uh, so Stoner he technically. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well. Yeah, I Connor know. Brown I, I had think last it, year. He almost had 30 last year, right? He had him in yeah. seven games, I think. Yeah, that's the thing, right? Like <laughs> he, he did it in way less games. But and what did games. what did Brady have last season? He was in the 20s too, right? Yeah. No, yeah, yeah like they're they're like they're there, man. Like, like for that group, and we're talking some young players. Again, I know the show was very long and I don't want to go on a long rant, no. but I, I'd be surprised if we don't see one in the next two seasons, at least. Like, hey. I really think they're right there, especially the chemistry that these this group, that line particularly, is already formed. We'll see. I, I, I believe they have a 30-goal score in Drake Batherson. I don't think it's this season. No, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Okay. Uh, Matt, this one might be a little bit more for you than, uh, um, than Brent, but just uh, – where is it here? Uh, Hot Lunch 4011 wants to know, is Parker Kelly going to be a full-time NHLer this season? I know oh, you're a I big – I know you're a big dark Parker horse. Kelly guy. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I just like energy, guys, on your fourth line because I can speak from experience from playing. I hated playing against them. There's nothing better than playing against a soft fourth liner because you know you're going to have time with a puck. That guy's not going to finish his check. Parker finishes all his checks. He's energetic. If he's going to take another step forward this season, I mean, he's going to vie for a position. But I don't know where they all fit. You know, and, and, and Sokolov's another guy. Like, there's there's a lot of players that are going to be fighting for that one, maybe two available spots on that fourth line to begin with at least. And then yeah. perhaps it changes throughout the year, but it's anybody's really, this is one of those seasons where a lot of your lineup for the most part is sort of set in stone and you're going to have one available spot up for grabs. And so, you know, you need to have a breakout training camp to really make some noise, to force management's hand to either make a trade to make room for you. Otherwise you're going to be in the American league. And that's just how this business is run. You have to make it, impossible for management to want to send you down that's fair i i just think that there's so many injuries throughout the the nhl season that we will just see them almost rotate oh yeah through, right for so sure that's how I, I feel like they're going to get in the lineup you're going to see right i'm just talking from kelly. training camp right i'm the talking is, yeah if parker kelly were to come up and get in whether it's to start the year or through an injury does he keep that spot i no, I think he I mean, can. That's you that's, never know, though. He can force people's hand, right? Like we've seen it before. No, no. I'm. Yeah. What I'm saying so, is that's the big question, and I yeah. won't know the answer to yeah. any of these questions until I see them at camp. Because I'm yeah. telling you guys, and you guys know this as well. Yeah. The development from year to year with players after a long summer, it's it's significant. You take you yeah. mature. You come to camp the next year. You're more confident. You're giving guys less respect across the ice. Your game changes. That happened to me at least. So. Until you start watching these players play in training camp, that those first couple exhibition games, it's hard to make any real predictions. And interesting you say that. I know Drake Batherson's on a stretcher with a new contract and picks him $5 million a year, but I'm told he's coming in in this phenomenal shape that he's leaned out and that the, the, 
I guess the man yeah. strength is there now, like at 23. Hey, I think listen, you'll, you'll see a huge difference in him. Yeah. And to that point, like I ran into Brady at the wedding there a couple of weeks ago in Vegas. He's huge. He is yeah. like, he is a big man. And so you have him, you've got Norris, who also apparently is an absolute machine off the ice. Like you've got a lot of, a lot of your core players here are, are uh, very responsible athletes in the off season. That is, that is a huge thing where you don't have to have your team strength coach babysit players having to travel there check on them make sure they're not eating chocolate every day and all <laughs> kinds of junk foods or whatever it is you know i think i think they've got it made here and they're very fortunate you've got three guys right off the bat there that are very driven in the summertime they take good care of themselves i think they're going to start off very strong this year only if brady signs uh did you offer by chance to get brady a plane ticket when you were in vegas to like hey, uh, we'll I, and when I have conversations with guys, I'm not going to out them and say every little word that we've exchanged, obviously, because then no one's ever going to want to talk to me again. <laughs> but, but I can say that, you know, he's very well aware that the city loves him, that they're behind him. He loves playing in Ottawa. Um, I, it's This is just business, right, at this point. Yeah. And so I'm sure he wants to get paid what's fair. Ottawa wants the same thing in return. They want a fair, balanced deal. This is just very complicated because you've got a guy who we like to use this term, he's a unicorn, right? How do you put a value number on this player that he brings all these intangibles to his game? So again, not surprising. I'll say this because I know a lot of people were speculating about, well, is he going to come into town? What's he going to do? Uh, and I know Pooley touched on it too. I don't think he's going to come until he signs a deal. I, I, I truly don't. I don't think you're going to see him fly into Ottawa until he's got a deal on paper signed. And that's completely – I. that's common for almost any RFA that I've heard of in years. It's bargaining. They just don't, right? You just yeah, don't show up. That's all. Exactly. you got to force your employer's hand and, and likewise in return. And, and, and I don't have any skin in this game, obviously, but from a player standpoint, I can say that. I don't see how he'll come into town unless something is finished and signed. And just to calm the waters, that is nothing to fear. Just the, the contract no, will get exactly. done. We'd like yeah. to see it get done before camp starts, but him not being here is not a sign. That just, yeah, and, and and just, I, I know we touched on it earlier. This guy yeah. is not going to panic, right? Like, like he's got all the cards. He's got a family a family history behind him of, of with, with Big Walt and with obviously with his brother, all in his corner and his agent now that have a ton of experience in this work. So he's not going to be lacking any confidence in his own game and what he believes to be worth. So don't be surprised if this comes right down to the wire. Okay. Uh, those are that's just great answers there, boys. Something that um, uh, we had a couple in the chat about Logan Brown. We didn't really talk about him today. Uh, Simmer had a tweet about him as well. Um, yeah. I mean, the Ottawa Senators, they were talking about bringing in a top center. They never really did. Um, is he a guy? I mean, doesn't sound like he's going to no. be in training camp. Who knows? No. Okay, so what's the expected return then for a guy like Logan Brown oh. who has these well, issues? Like, should we be excited to get something or are we just going to no. swap for They've another tried thing? Wally will... Go ahead, Wally. Sorry. Yeah. They've tried to move him and they could yes. last year. Exactly. So the expected return it has to be low. Like, this is now just, you owe it almost, I don't know if owe it is the case, but Logan Brown needs to move on. The organization needs to move on. Like, Logan Brown hasn't been in Ottawa all summer, hasn't been training here. Again, like, not... I mean, and that's uncommon because he's usually spent a lot of time in this off seasons in Ottawa getting ready for the upcoming season. So yeah. it's just time to move on. Like that's, that's all there is. I have nothing against either side here. Yeah. We just, it's no. not working out in Ottawa. And the uh, Ottawa senators, I mean, well, you can't blame the team. They're, they're going to try to just ext extract as much as humanly possible out of this, right? They don't want to just sure. give them away. They may have to at some point, but um, I think they played it fine. I mean, 
unless your player is demonstrating that he belongs full-time up in your top club and he's got to do it in the American League as well. I know, I've, and I'm not trying to be hard on it on him mm. or any other player, but it's up to you as an individual to show the team that you belong up there. Obviously, the team is in the business of winning. If they feel like you're going to give them the best opportunity to win, you're going to be up there with the big club. And that's exactly. not the case right now. A change of scenery might be best for both sides. Perfect. Okay, one more thing I want to touch on, boys. I actually had my memory jogged a little bit this week. My good friend Capital Gains on Twitter tweeted a picture that we posted on the Sens account way, way back at the 2018 draft. And it kind of made me remember of a few things. I wanted to share that. And actually, you guys touched on it a little bit, too, with kind of how uh, the Hurricanes, maybe uh, their social media is now working a little bit with their hockey ops and, and how that's kind of a newer thing. So it just it jogged my memory a little bit. Here's something we did here. Here's a picture of uh, Cockney meeting with the scouts. This was the day before the draft. And uh, the Sens met with uh, Barrett Hayden the day of the draft as well. And anyway, I think this was all um, a Brian Morris plot, which was kind of fun to see because uh, <laughs> at the time, uh, if you guys remember, Montreal picking third, Ottawa picking fourth. Montreal, uh, everybody kind of knew that they were leaning towards Cockneyemi and everybody sure. kind of knew Ottawa wanted uh, Brady Kachuk. Uh, and so Montreal was trying to get Ottawa to trade back and they were, so this was kind of a, uh, Brian Morris helping Woody and I and uh, even Pierre Dorian like to kind of maybe uh, put out little traps out there and let people know and uh, so it was kind of fun to see Montreal I think wanted that guy and I mean again I was smart enough to stay out of a lot of rooms that had lists on them and stuff but everything I heard I, I mean I don't think Ottawa would have been I don't think they would have been as happy but I think they probably would have taken Cockney Emmy at four like it wasn't oh like, for sure a, yeah. I think he was probably the fourth guy on their list again I never saw the final list I was very good at staying out of that room when whenever those were yeah. up so I could uh uh, implore the power of deniable, uh, plausible deniability. <laughs> uh, but that was an interesting yeah. draft year to see. And, and just to kind of see how maybe the social media side came in a little bit uh, and some mind games and calling mm. bluffs and stuff. It was, it was a nice little fun day to kind of see how it all rolled out. And then to see the picks actually happen, it was pretty cool. So nice. kind of tie, ties all that back in there. Um, last thing we got to do, we got we to gotta wrap up some uh, trivia from our show with uh, Brian Boucher last week. Um, so we got another, we had a gong, another gong show, uh, puck luck, uh, game to give away. Uh, these are awesome, man. So, um, they're, they're perfect to work on your sauce prizes, uh, courtesy, obviously of gong show. So be sure to check out their sweet Wally Mathot merch they put together first as well, along with the rest of their consistently excellent products. Uh, they're the best. So if you've been enjoying the show, think about supporting our great partner, partners like gong show and head on over to gongshow.com. Uh, but if you want to win something first, well, we got a winner from this week. Uh, the question we asked was, who is the only Ottawa Senator to score a hat-trick against Brian Boucher? The answer, Alex Kovalev, who actually potted four mm. in that game. Yeah. Uh, so shout out to our winner at Cobden Mussy, Musi, one of the two. Uh, congrats, you got yourself a puck left game. So keep an eye on your DMs. We're going to slide in there and figure out uh, how to send the thing to you. So. Shout out to everyone who uh, answered that one too. That was great. Yeah, Kovalev. I remember wow. coming to Ottawa. I was with Columbus. We played against uh, the Sens, obviously, that evening, and Kovalev was playing. And he had this play where he started on the half wall with the puck, full possession. And I like I couldn't do anything. I never realized how strong this human being was. So I'm leaning on him. I'm cross-checking him in the back. I'm trying to you know separate him from the puck. Makes a beautiful dish across the ice. Uh, whoever it was scores goes top shelf I end up sitting on the bench for about 12 minutes and after the game I'm like pleading to my D coach I'm like please sit me down and show me what I could have done differently <laughs> to prevent that goal because unless I wrap my arm around his neck and choke hold him or something I'm not going to stop him and so 
they never really had an answer. And it's still, every time I see Kovalev on the ice doing one hand shots from like the red line, like going shelf yes. across the ice, that's like reassertion that I was not wrong and that he is in fact incredibly strong. So every day of practice for the Sens, I used to watch this and I meant to get this recorded on camera, but uh, so you guys line up at the circle in the middle of the ice and stretch and just shoot the shit, right? Yeah. At the far blue line, he would do this, have like five pucks on his knees, just flick pucks. And what he's trying to do is land it on the top of the net. Yeah. And it was effortless. So he skilled, would, man. Like, yeah. I, I, I never, and then people always talk about how much skill he had. I've never seen an Ottawa senator with more individual skill than Alex Kovalev. I he agree. Was amazing. Yeah. And his forearms, like, his forearms were just like massive, you know, like, like when you see him off the ice, you're wondering like, who produced that human being? Like, where does this guy come from? And then you're like, well, he's Russian. So it's probably your answer. Anyway. He needs a big mutant t-shirt. Yeah, All right. He I'll is a mutant. Talking. We might have to have <laughs> some, some jeans and sneakers merch too. Yes. People were loving Pooh's yeah. analogy and Alan. That was so good. Um, we need, uh, our next show is coming Thursday. So I just want to remind uh, everybody that it's going to be Craig Anderson. The, number, the best Senators goalie in history uh, is stopping by and one of Matt's good friends. Uh, so as we leave you, uh, we're going to preview with a clip that's coming up in the show and wanted to say, hey, thanks for stopping by on a holiday Monday. Uh, we've enjoyed all of it. Uh, and that is the Wally Mathancho powered by Barhaven Ford Fryer. Time for us to drive on out of here. We'll see you on Thursday. See you guys. Did you think you were going to end up getting a deal last year? And did you go into this free agency maybe planning to retire or was that even on your mind you know it was kind of open up in the air i mean i think the end of the day i didn't want to let uh the pandemic kind of end the career and so last mm. year you know it's just the way the timing worked of everything you know lundquist you know going through his surgery and opened up a spot and it just kind of the way it kind of worked out was was you know kind of meant to be um, but I wasn't forcing the issue last year. We weren't like calling everybody going, I need a job, I need a job. It just kind of fell in place. And then, you know, similar to this year, you know, like it was one of those things where uh, I was not expecting it either way. Could have, could have been, you know, could have been happily retired or, you know, happy playing either way. So, uh, it's just kind of the way things are supposed to happen. Fate, fate's kind of let fate do its thing and, you know, go out there and, and, uh, you know, ride, ride the wave. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.